the Bible should be the authority, should be the final authority uh, for all matters of spiritual nature, for the home, for individual Christians, for the church. Uh, if the Bible's not our final authority, the question then becomes, what is? And if the Bible isn't your final authority, then the next logical conclusion would be that something, something else is. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16, all Scripture, that's the scripted written word, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We have a final authority that I want you to believe that has been supernaturally given. It's not given naturally by man. It's not a book that we believe or trust or read because we're trusting in men who wrote it. Men didn't write it. God's the author. God has used men. And we have a book, we have an authority that's supernaturally given. Uh, natural arguments, um, the laws of logic and argumentation don't hold up to the authority of the Word of God because it's a supernatural authority. Do you believe that? Do you believe the Bible was supernaturally given? 2 Peter chapter number 1. The Bible says in verse number 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by something. And man can do a lot of speaking. Man can do a lot of reading. Man can do a lot of things. All of that's a natural, that's a natural power. But none of it really amounts to anything if they weren't moved by the Holy Ghost. And if you want to have a real true authority in your life, and if the Bible's going to be a real true authority, there's going to have to be a belief by faith that you can hold it here in your hand and get some help from it. And if, and, if, and if the power came from men of old through the Holy Ghost, how much more are you going to be able to tap into this and get some Holy Ghost power from it? <laughs> that should be our authority for, it, for everything. So, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse number 13, Bible says, For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing. Why? Because, because, here's why, when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it, and, and here's the supernatural part. You can read books with your children that aren't the Bible and they can get some help. Some natural help. Some man-to-man, -man, some mom-to-daughter, some dad-to-son help. But when we're talking about the final authority of the Bible, that's not the type of help that's being talked about. It's a supernatural help. It's different than reading any other book or studying any other book. And, and they, were thank, they were thanking God and it was without ceasing and there was a reason. 
Because they, when they received the word of God, uh, which they heard of us, they received it not as the word of men. They knew it wasn't man's word. They knew it was something different, something special. But as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. The Bible, you will hear this more often. Well, the Bible's just a book written by men. No, it's not. And if you're asking someone to receive it as it's a book written by men, it's just a, an exercise in faith, in, in, in nothing. <laughs> it's a supernatural book and it must be received as not the word of men. They received it as the word of God. That makes it the way they received it and the way it's recorded here tells us this is a supernatural book. It was supernaturally given, not naturally given. Why is the Bible our final authority? That's reason number one. The supernatural power behind it. Go to the book of Psalms, chapter number 12. Psalms chapter number 12. Look at verse number 6, Psalms 12, verse number 6. Not only is the Bible supernaturally given, but it is preserved by the providential hand of God. And verse number 6, we see the principle, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. We're not talking about the ability of human preservation. Technology has come a long way in preserving things and artifacts and all of that. We're not talking about that. There's something special about the words of God being providentially preserved. So you know what? You can hold it in your hand and read it. Amen. And by faith, we can understand these Bible principles and by faith, believe that God kept His promise and that His words were preserved. Go to Psalms 119. Psalms 119. Bible says in verse 89, Psalms 119, look at verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Look at Psalms 119, verse 160. The uh, uh, it, it breaks here, okay, verse number 160. Thy word is true from the beginning and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Call out the answer. What are people looking for today? Pleasure. Truth. Truth. 
people are looking for truth. Share this verse with them. Thy word is true from the beginning. There's a lot of distrust because people have been hurt or lied to or deceived or all of the above and then add some. If this Bible's true, which I believe it is, and if people are looking for truth, we have to put some stock into helping them understand this is what we believe. <laughs> this is what we trust. This is what we believe. This is what we know to be true. God's Word. Supernaturally given, providentially preserved. Go to Hebrews 4 if you would. Is that the authority for your family? I trust the answer is, is yes, Hebrews 4. Bible says, for the word of God is, is quick. Uh, people hold to a lot of traditions. Uh, traditions aren't quick, but the Word of God is. Any tradition you or I might have, we better filter it through something that's true and quick. The Word of God, verse number 12, is quick, and then it says it's powerful. There's a lot of creeds that have been written. There's a lot of constitutions that have been talked about. Uh, it doesn't line up to the powerfulness of the Word of God. Then it says sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, churches have to do things today that they didn't have to do in the book of Acts. Uh, in the book of Acts, I don't think that they had the, uh, all the ins and outs and legalities and illegalities of purchasing land and building properties and opening bank accounts and trying to uh, trying to operate like we would have to operate nowadays, right? But we, we okay, you, you, churches might have by, bylaws or outlaws depending on what side of the thing you're on, but we have a set of bylaws, but our bylaws aren't sharper than any two-edged sword. If you're, if you're getting what I'm, if, what I'm trying to dish out. The Word of God is. Churches nowadays have to have things in place so that they can operate legally and safely within the confines of this world. Because like we are talking about in the Sunday school uh, hour, all those distractions. But none of that is, none of that is the Word of God. None of that is quick and powerful. We need to, we, nowadays, we need to hear these distinctions. It's, a church covenant doesn't supersede the Bible. I don't care what attorney drew up a bylaws. I don't care what attorney uh, created a, an entity that can operate legally as a 501c3 nonprofit or whatever you want to call it. None of that was in the book of Acts. Churches have to do things in order to stay in operation within the world and the culture that God has put us in. I don't think any of that thing, I don't think any of that stuff's wrong or sinful. 
It's all things that we do to keep ourselves above reproach and make sure we're covering our bases because we have to operate within a sinful world. But none of it's the Word of God. And none of it's quick and powerful. We've got to be pointing people to this book. And then it says, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And all the scholars and all the church fathers and all the Christian experiences, none of them are piercing your heart. Not like this book. Not like this word. This is going to pierce your heart and discern your thoughts. And when individuals or families or churches move away from the authority of the Word of God, we lose the supernatural power that's been providentially preserved that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. John 5. John 5, verse 39. I was brought up uh, and I was taught that the Roman Catholic Church was the one true church and then that was my authority. And here on earth, while I was part of the Roman Catholic Church, I was, and many Catholics still today are taught, that the Pope is the authority. When he speaks from his chair, it is it, it, it is as if God himself is speaking. And that's absolutely blasphemous, and it's not true, but that's what a lot of people have been brought up with and have been taught. John chapter 5, verse number 39. Uh, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me and you will not come to me that you might have life why is it important that you search the scriptures because you're not going to get your authority or your truth from the roman catholic church or any of the popes you're not going to get it from the current pope or any past pope they are not authority the scripture is authority you have to search the Scriptures. I am not the authority. <laughs> you have to search the Scriptures so that you know what I'm saying is from the Scriptures and vice versa. Everyone should be given that advice. You'll find eternal life if you search. If you search the Scriptures, you won't miss it. It's in the Scriptures, the written Word. Acts 17. Acts 17. Too many searching in creeds for authority, not enough searching in the Scripture. Verse 11. 
Look at this, 17.11, Acts 17.11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? In that they received the word. Now, what did we say? How did they receive the word back in 1 Thessalonians? Not as the word of men, but as the word of, right? of God, right? Back in 1 Thessalonians, there was a way that they received it. We see a second way that you see a benefit of how the Scriptures is received. And those in Thessalonica received the Word. Here's how they received it. With all readiness of mind. Back in Thess uh, Thessalonica, it was they received it not as the will of man, not as the Word of men. They received it as it was supernaturally given. Here, in Thessalonica, they're receiving the word with all readiness of mind. They're ready in their mind. And they, and they also did this. They searched the Scriptures as well. They searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. Is your mind ready to receive the truth that's in this book? Go back this morning to the Sunday school hour to all the distractions that we went through. Your mind won't be ready to receive it. Is your mind ready? Because if it is, you're going to get some blessings. Do you search this book daily on your own, by yourself, without a preacher or a parent or a Christian friend nudging you to do so? Do you search it on your own? It's a supernatural book that's been providentially preserved and God wants us to do that. With all readiness of mind, that's how we receive it. And as the Word of God. Lutherans have, uh, they have their Augsburg Confession. The Presbyterians have the Westminster Confession. The Anglicans, the Church of England, they have their 39 Articles, those creeds are what they put their stock in. And so the same as the Roman Catholic Church, the Presbyterians and the Lutherans and the Anglicans and the Roman Catholics, what they do is they'll have their creed or they'll have their church and they'll put the Bible on top of that. Because the creed's the foundation. The Roman Catholic Church is the foundation. And they'll use the Bible to support what their foundation teaches. It's backwards. It's backwards. So what are we at Pilgrim Baptist? We are Bible-believing Christians. We believe that the Scriptures are the final authority and the church will be in subject to the written Scriptures. Who's the church? The body of Christ. Who's the body of Christ? You. Who are you in subject to? This written Word. This written Word. And the more we try to push it aside like it's a side dish, we are not receiving it the way God would have us to receive it. 
These conversations should be had and these verses and principles should be talked about as new members start to come into our flock so that they can understand this isn't about you having everything figured out before you can come and be with us. This isn't about um, agreeing with everything the preacher says. This isn't about um, we're right and everybody else is wrong. This isn't about well, my constitution said this and yours says this. It's not about any of that. It is about this book and this word and all of us trying to receive it with the right attitude and all of us trying to grow as the Lord grows us. But if you don't have a ready mind, it makes it hard. It's kind of hard. You put a seed in soil and it, you haven't prepared it. So our minds have to be prepared and ready. People need to understand this book. We want to go by the book. Go by the book. Seventh-day Adventists, they have their stock in what Ellen uh, White wrote, specifically the Great Controversy. The JWs, it's whatever the Watchtower says. They have millions of those going out, big organization. Um, a lot of people deceived about that. Uh, cults find their authority in the words of men, in, this, in what has been scripted by men. And Mormons, they have their Book of Mormon, Doctrine of Covenants. And that's, again, if the Bible comes up, it's going to be put on top of the great controversy. <laughs> you won't ever find one Seventh-day Adventist that doesn't say we believe the Bible. But what they mean is, we believe in using the Bible to support what Ellen White said in the great controversy. You won't ever meet a Jehovah's Witness that comes to your door and doesn't go to the Bible. What do they mean when they say they believe the Bible? They believe the Bible as far as the watchtower takes them. We don't believe that. We don't believe any book written by any man, any sermon given by any preacher, any commentary written by any theologian supersedes this book. And we're going to rest our stock in that. Because if you had a trust in what I write on my blog, there might be some good stuff, might be some bad stuff, might be some confusing stuff, might be some commentary I write that ain't right. <laughs> but if I'm trying to point you to the Bible and you're trying to point me to the Bible, now everything we write and say and talk about is built on this. This filters everything we do in our life. Young people, you don't want to get involved with somebody you don't want to get involved with somebody when their final authority is not this Bible. They're going to take you down a road that you don't want to go, and you're going to go further down that road than you ever expected. You thinking you're taking a walk down the sidewalk, next thing you know, you're caught in the middle of the highway of traffic of distraction. This Bible. Charismatics find their authority in heightened emotions, and you'll use the Bible to, to support it. We need an authority. Go to Isaiah 55. Here's another authority that is a distraction to our Bible study. Isaiah 55. A lot of stock is put into intellectual authority nowadays. Who's the smartest guy in the room? Who's the smartest guy in the community? Who's the smartest guy in the world? Intellectual. Watch what this supernatural book says in Isaiah 55. 
Bible says, for my thoughts that be God are not your thoughts, <laughs> neither are your ways that be us, my ways that be the Lord's. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. God very clearly lays right out in the book of Isaiah, if you're trusting in your thoughts, you're just wrong. <laughs> and if it's your way that you're putting all your stock and confidence in, God's saying you're just wrong. The way I think and the, and the way that I do things, God says to us, Folks, you're nothing, it's nothing like what I do. We literally have to give God the steering wheel in our thought life and in, the, in, in our way. <laughs> because we will always self-correct and it'll be wrong. We've got to get back into this book to get the mind of God. People say, well, I want the mind of God. Have you been praying? No. Have you been reading your Bible? No. Have you been going to church? No. i just kind of feeling like I need the mind of God. You're not going to find the mind of God, man. You're just going to make up stuff in your head and you're going to believe it because you think your ways are... And they're not. They're not. Somebody who's really trying to get the mind of God is praying, studying this book, and getting around God's people. And then he says in verse number 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. We want to take the higher ground. The higher ground is always the better ground. Isn't it? Well, look, if the higher ground's the better ground, you know what God's saying? If you stick with me and my written word and my scripture, you'll always be on better ground. Because <laughs> my ways are higher. Why take your own way when it's, it's just lower? Rationalism is intellectual authority. It's a farce. It's a complete denial of the supernatural. Who's that? That's Plato, Aristotle, all those, all those characters. Relativism, well, truth is just relative. What does the culture say about this? Young people, you'll grow up, and if you go to college, what does my ethics professor say at college? All of that is relativism. It's an, it's, a, it's an authority of intellectualism. God says in Isaiah 55, forget about that. And then there's postmodernism. They say that nothing is absolute. Of course, they believe that, of course, when they say that, they make an absolute statement. But postmodernism is authority is subject to change what it was in 1920 it's not what it is now postmodernism so that's intellectual authority isaiah 55 should settle that for us god's thoughts are higher than our thoughts go to titus chapter number one and we'll look at one more type of authority that's not correct and that would be your conscience as an authority your conscience is of authority. Titus chapter number 1. This has really messed a lot of people up. They're just following their conscience. And God did give us a conscience. But watch what this says. 
Unto the pure, all things are pure. Are you saved this afternoon? You know how pure and holy God is? You have His indwelt Holy Spirit. You can live a pure life. And all things to you should be pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing, nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. This is Jiminy Cricket theology. Jiminy Cricket was the one that said, let your conscience be your guide. Leads a lot of people astray. Unsaved people, moral relativists, rationalists, postmodernists, humanists, uh, people that are just against God, and we're going to trust them? No, I don't think so. This is the American dream. This is the feel-good theology. All of this follows under just dream big, man. All your dreams are going to come true. Let your conscience, you can find the power within. All the self-help gurus are very big into this. Conscience authority. Not right. It's not right. Isaiah 55 handles intellectual authority and debunks that. Titus 1 debunks the conscience as the authority. Um, you don't have to turn there, but uh, I'll read you the verse. Micah 6, this is a great verse. It says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And ladies and gentlemen and young people, you want a life verse for the week? Take it from Micah 6. Walk humbly with God. And you'll do all right. You'll do all right. All right, fill in the blank for me. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately... That's right, once again. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately... Wicked. Who can know it? <laughs> Why would you want your heart and your conscience and looking inward for truth and authority? You better, I better, we better forget about all that. This book is more powerful than we can imagine. Uh, stay in Titus. Look at verse number 9. Here's what I'd like us to do. Bible says, well, look, look, look at verse 7. I know it, we have some, uh, a bishop must be blameless. That's great as the steward of God. All this is great stuff. Not self-willed, not soon anger, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. Um, you know, Isaiah, if you met some of the if you met all these requirements, I mean it might be nice to get a nice nice old bishop's hat or something, you know, like you know, uh, you know, I don't know what that's supposed to look like, but in my mind, I don't know cuz it's a Roman Catholic, but you know, the bishops had the real big uh, but you know, e even though you, you, and 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 ladies, you might not um, aspire to be a bishop. I hope you wouldn't be. 
But I'll tell you, there's some character traits here that are still good. We should all strive to be. These are all good things. Young people, um, you, you, I don't think any young boy says, yeah, I can't wait to be a bishop. But you really should because there's some really good stuff here. Lover of hospitality, all this stuff. But here's the most important thing I believe we can find in verse number 9. This would disqualify a man from being a bishop. If he doesn't, hold, it says in verse 9, holding fast the faithful word. As he hath been taught. Why? Because he's got to be able to do some stuff effectively for God. That he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And you know what? It's great that you're not given to wine and it's great that you don't love money and it's great that you're uh, blameless and you're not self-willed and you're not just an angry, bitter bishop. <laughs> all that's great and all that's required. But what that doesn't help you do is to exhort and convince the gainsayers. But this does. Pick up your Bibles. Pick up your Bibles. Hold it tight. Hold it tight. Hold it close. Hold your Bible close. Don't give up the book. Don't give up the book. Hold fast. Hold fast and point people to this truth. I'll read you this verse and I'll be done. The Bible says in John 12, 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken. And people that reject the word, they reject the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're eventually going to be judged by the book that they rejected. And I don't want that for anybody, and neither do you. Our church doesn't want that for anybody. I'm telling you, we got some gainsayers. I'm holding on and I'm sticking to this book. That's our authority.